You're listening to 103.5 FM WNHH Community Radio in New Haven, Connecticut. This is The Table Underground, and I'm your host, Tegan Engel. We're digging into stories of food, radical love, and creative social justice. Today's show is an interview with Melanie Allen of the Black Farmer Fund, which is an emerging community investment fund that supports Black food system entrepreneurs in New York State. Melanie is the program director for the fund, where she leads efforts to create a future where Black farmers and residents take control of their local food systems and have access to healthy, affordable, and sustainably grown food. This interview was hosted by the Center for Business and the Environment at Yale, where I have been invited to serve as a resident fellow this year and facilitate conversations about power and race in community, business, and the environment. This conversation was recorded in a live public webinar and lightly edited for this podcast. So before we jump into a lot of really wonderful discussion, I wanted to just name a few things and and do a few honorings. You know, we are living through some really difficult times right now. Um, In addition to the pandemic, which is disproportionately affecting Black, Brown, and Indigenous people, and also the heightened amount of um, visibility and acts of white supremacy that are happening in our country. In our New Haven community, we since the beginning of this year have had six shootings um, and five people have died from those shootings and many communities and families are really hurting right now. And I just wanna name, name that. And also that those things are part of a long legacy of oppression and genocide as we, as we enter into a conversation about land, about agriculture, um, about farming, I would like to really honor the indigenous peoples of this land who are the original stewards of this land, as well as honoring the African peoples who were once enslaved here and who really were brought here and on whose backs our agricultural economy was, was begun. And in addition to that, I really wanna also honor the earth for all the earth has witnessed and continues to hold. And this history, um, it's really important that we kind of acknowledge the truth of our history as a way that we can begin to heal and move forward. And it's something we haven't done very well in our society. In addition to these things, which are you know really heartbreaking things, I also want to name that our history includes incredible liberation work incredible community building and cultural resiliency across so many peoples. And part of what we're coming together for today is to learn about the Black Farmer Fund, which is both rooted in repairing some of the harms of this history, as well as building incredible resiliency. And so I'm really honored to sit in conversation with Melanie today and learn and listen about the Black Farmer Fund. Melanie, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So Melanie, I just said a lot of stuff, (laughs) but I'm wondering if you could get us started with giving us an overview of the Black Farmer Fund and some of the goals of the fund. Yeah, for sure. So Black Farmer Fund really started at a conference between a ton of farmers um, and Karen Washington and Olivia Watkins, who are our co-founders, really just got together to discuss the frustrations that they were feeling over the, the lack of accessible financial options for for early farmers and also farmers that have been working the land for generations. So that was in 2018. In 2019, there was a lot of 
research and, and conversations happening with different community governance funds and survey, surveying the agricultural landscape and, and research on different financial models that, that would fit the needs that, that Black farmers were expressing. And then in 2020, um, we hired our first staff. I was one of them. And we also got our 501c3 nonprofit status. So that's a little bit of the, the historical context. But we really are trying to serve as a funding vehicle that is community governed, that provides patient, so flexible repayment terms, integrated capital, so a mix of low interest loans and grants that are informed by the racial inequities that, that we see in the current agricultural landscape. And we want to be able to provide funding in a way that's informed by the historical discrimination that Black communities have experienced in more traditional banking structures. We really center relationships and relationship building. We don't see our way of facilitating financial access as transactional, and we're not really looking to fund food actors in isolation. We really are trying to support a, a holistic food system and our investments are guided by our, our values of economic justice, community wealth building, and environmental and ecological management. Um, as part of our work, we also center financial education and, and building investment literacy, and also uplifting the history of collective cooperative economic models that have existed in Black communities for generations in our work. And that is done through educating our staff, but also educating our community that we work with. Um, so that's yeah. kind of a, a, brief, a brief overview. Yeah, of you work. touched on a lot of really important things. Before we dig into some of those a little bit more, um, I'm wondering if you could put this in a little bit of historical context so that people can understand kind of why, why is this important? Why are Black farmers needing and, and people in the food ecosystem, the Black food ecosystem needing this financial support? Yeah, to really understand why, why Black farmers and Black food entrepreneurs need something like Black Farmer Fund, we have to look at the historical context of agriculture in the US. There was a genocide of indigenous peoples and their sacred land was stolen from them. And then this land was forcibly cultivated by enslaved Africans for generations. Once Black people were free, the, the promise of 40 acres and a mule was taken away and we see Black folks being chased off their land by racial terror, intimidation, not having the same access to financial support and subsidies because of discriminatory lending practices, being offered higher interest loans compared to, to their white counterparts, and, and really having lack of legal and financial resources to support Black farmers in, in defending their land. Um, the Pickford and Glickman <laughs> racial discrimination lawsuit left farmers in, in even more debt and, and lack of legal resources to save their family farms. And as a result of that, we have really astounding numbers showing that the amount of farms owned by Black farmers in the U.S. dropped from 14% in 1910 to, to less than 2%. And land ownership in the U.S., currently 98% of rural land is, is in the hands of white folks. And, and this decline of black and brown and indigenous farmers also represents a, a real disconnection from, from our history and cultural practices. And it also means that communities don't have readily access to fresh food, which is directly connected to the disproportionate health disparities that we see in communities of colors. And this is really all connected to the fact that black farmers have been intentionally left out of access to resources, land and finance. And, and this informs the present situation in New York State. According to the USDA 2017 
census, the average black farmer in New York State has 77 acres, while the white farmer has 200 acres. Um, the annual income for black farmers is negative $906, while for white farmers, it's about $42,000. And in the multi-billion agricultural and food industry in New York State, we have about 57,000 farmers with only 139 being black. Yeah. I so, want to just step in for a second and just emphasize some of the things you're saying, which is that it's really important for people to understand that this wasn't just about black farmers saying we don't want to farm anymore. This was about black farmers being because of being black intentionally left out of government programs that were supporting them, as well as intentionally having their land stolen from them. And so that is largely what that decline in black farm ownership was was due to. Um, did you want to say more about that? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no worries. I think we'll we'll probably get to it later in the conversation. I can go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I saw those numbers, it's just so stark. The the number of acres that are owned by black farmers in New York State versus white and the amount of income is really, really glaring. And it really paints a picture of why, why a fund that is intentionally supporting um, black farmers is really important. Can you talk a little bit, you mentioned sort of funding an ecosystem. Can you describe a little what that means to fund an ecosystem and why you're doing that? Yeah, for us, funding an ecosystem really reflects that farmers don't exist in isolation. Farmers need markets, markets need farmers, and there are all of these other players like food distributors that, that are often left out of the, the initial thought when you think about agriculture and how your food gets onto the table. And what we are really trying to uplift is community ownership and communal wealth building. And that happens by, by creating strong networks. As an organization, we also don't function in isolation. We work in an ecosystem structure with other BIPOC-led organizations that are uplifting a racially just food system. So we're in communication and constant community with Farm School in New York City and Soulfire Farm that, that focus on farmer training, Corbin Hill Food Project that focuses more on food distribution, Northeast Farmers of Color Land Trust that focuses more on land access. And we recognize that all of us working together in collaboration rather than competition is how we, we really can just get so much more farther. And we also recognize that we might each have our specific niches, but these are all gaps in the, the larger ecosystem that keep farmers from reaching their, their success. Mm -hmm. We're also part of Black Farmers United New York State, which is a coalition of 30 different Black farmers in New York that are actively working with the state to advocate and educate policymakers on, on different solutions that, that will help the state provide more support to Black farmers. So, so Black Farmer Fund can't just exist in isolation, and we want to replicate those values in the way that we distribute funds and also the way that we build community amongst different food actors in New York State. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You know, I've heard you talk a little bit about this being a form of reparative economics, which I think you maybe just described a little bit of how you're working, but what does that mean to you in terms of, of saying what reparative economics is and how does that play out in the way that you're doing your funding? For us, it really means setting people people up for success and, and not replicating bad lending practices such as high interest rates or excluding right. people with bad credit. 
And I mentioned earlier that, that financial education is really at the heart of what we do. And we are building that within our staff and with, the, with our applicants as well. So um, we actually learned the, the term reparative capital from, from Mark Watson from Fair Food Fund. And this term really centers providing funds in a way that is reflective of the historical discrimination faced by Black communities and a way of providing funds that, that literally repairs the past harms. And we also, we really uplift the restorative economics framework. And we learned this from Amaka Agbo, and this really centers healing and restoration for marginalized communities and the importance of relationships and investing in community wealth investing in governance structures that that build community power. And we've learned a lot from Boston Ujima and their community governance model. So when we say reparative capital, we really just aren't trying to set people up for, for failure. And the, the, final, the financial products that we provide, uh, that's one of the reasons why our community governance model is so important because that means that there's lived experience and an understanding of the reality that these food actors are facing. And when we talk about, about creating an alternate economic model or a system, we think of questions like, what would it look like for, for lendees and lenders to be in good relation? What does it look like for a farmer or a food actor to be part of the underwriting process of their, their loan, for them to indicate what they need rather than acting or asking in a mindset of scarcity, for repayment terms to be built around their specific production cycle. For example, in the winter for farmers, it could be very hard for them to keep up with loan payments if they're not able to actually get crops to the market because it's a, a time of pause, a time of rest. So, so thinking about really making sure that the financial deals that we facilitate are in the interest of, of the food actor and really just trying to be flexible when we're thinking about you know, and usually when you take on debt, you have to start paying that back immediately. But what would it look like if there was a few years of a grace period where this business is actually able to begin to profit before they have to start paying back debt with, with more debt? Mm-hmm. Or what does it look like for, for things like bad credit not to be a reason to, to keep you from receiving a grant or a loan? So we really see, we see grants as subsidies, something that many Black businesses have not been able to, to be eligible for or granted historically. Right. And the last thing that we want to do is underfund people. So really acting from this, this spirit of abundance. Yeah, it's so important. Um, you know, one of the things that I notice in kind of the, the funding world, whether it's a bank or a foundation, is that, you know, the majority of the people holding money and making decisions are white. And one of the things that you're doing really differently is that you have your staff, your board of directors, and your community advising team that's getting you started who are all who are all black, who all represent different parts of the food ecosystem and, and different communities. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about um, what is the work in particular your your community um, stakeholder team that is helping to to kind of build this. you're an emerging fund. I want to be really clear. you're in your first funding cycle right now. So could you explain a little bit about the importance of having a Black team who's making these decisions and what you're sort of leaning on these community stakeholders to help you develop? Yes, we are an emerging fund (laughs) and we're currently in our pilot phase. So we have a pilot community that is a group of 13 different food actors from across New York State that, that come from different parts of New York, but also specific roles in the food system that are really designing the governance of the fund. 
Um, we've been working with this group since July of 2020. And throughout that experience, we have helped facilitate financial education webinars. We've done a lot of trust building and we've designed the, the investment guidelines that are essentially the criteria used for making decisions around the applicants. And these investment guidelines uh, center economic justice, community wealth building and ecological and environmental impact. And for us, it's so important to have this type of model because one, it takes the decision-making power away from the Black Farmer Fund staff and it really holds it in the community and self-determination and community independent, interdependence is, is really the core of, of why this model is what we want to do. And it's also so meaningful to have these lived experiences. So when you're reviewing uh, an application from a farmer, we have a farmer who's able to say, actually, this person could use 20,000 more dollars because the operating cost for a startup is, is this, that, and a third. So just having that level of expertise makes the types of financial deals and relationship building so much stronger. And, and for us, it really is about shifting power, shifting resources, and, and putting community and relationships at the center of that. Um, it's it's not, not very common to see a conversation happening between a farmer where they can really just say upfront exactly how much support they need. And they're talking to another farmer that is helping to guide them through that, that process. So like I said before, we really aren't trying to have deals that are transactional and we really want to, to be in community with all of the applicants that, that go through the pilot fund, whether or not they receive funding in a way that we're seen as a support system. And that could look like mentorship. It could look like looping them into our network or connecting them to one of our ecosystem partners. It could look like business coaching or it could look like helping a farmer get connected to a different market. So, so I think that community governance model is so, so important. And that's what really sets Black Farmer Fund aside from more traditional funding vehicles. Yeah, it's so important what you just said, having observed um, the way funding often happens in, in terms of like grants and things like that, as well as loans, often people don't get what they need. And so they automatically are failing kind of going out the gate, as well as like that you're offering this level of expertise within your team to kind of help people get a leg up is, is so important. There's some really great questions that are coming in um, that I wanna just jump on because they're connected. Somebody said, uh, you're doing great work and paving a path for reparative economics and practice. I'm curious to know more about conversations with investors in the fund and how you determine whether an investor is value aligned. Yeah, I can share a little bit about what conversations with investors have looked like over the past few months and, and also about where the funding for the, the pilot program has come, come from. Yeah, that'd be um, great. So, so Olive, who's the president of Black Farmer Fund, and myself have had countless conversations with individuals that have just reached out to us trying to understand what our work is. And a lot of folks get it. A lot of folks understand that there is value in social capital. There is value in investing in community and that financial returns are not the only outcome of, of investing. And there are other folks that don't get it. And there's a lot of learning and you know sending over one pagers that, that needs to happen to help foster those relationships. Um, so it really is a mix, but, but I think more and more as we as we understand just the, the depth of wealth inequality in the US and the historical discrimination that has kept philanthropy from supporting BIPOC-led organizations and also more on an individual level, I think that there's more attention 
that there really just needs to be a redistribution of funds and it needs to happen now. Um, so we talked to a lot of restaurants and businesses that believe in our work and that are in alignment with our values and they, they will direct a portion of their profits to, to the pilot program. We have relationships with a lot of different philanthropic institutions that, that believe in our work and uplift our work and connect us to different types of investing vehicles. And we also just have a lot of conversations with individuals, a lot of folks that are probably fit a similar profile that to, to people on this call that have heard about our work or saw us on a webinar and just want to learn more and, and contribute in, in whatever way they can. It's great. It's great that you're getting support from people who really get what you're doing and from so many different sources. I hope that that continues and grows. Could you explain a little, since you're in this pilot phase, maybe in some concrete ways, who, what are some examples of the types of projects that you're looking to fund? Because as you said, it's an ecosystem, right? It's some farmers and then other food entrepreneurs. Um, and just give an, an idea of maybe some, some of the types of projects that you're looking at and maybe some idea of the level of funding, just to give people an idea of, of what you're starting to do. Yeah, so we're hoping that for all the financial deals that we facilitate, it's a form of integrated capital. So a, a grant coupled with a low interest rate loan. And one of the reasons why we want to incorporate a loan aspect is to help folks build, build credit, because often that is a barrier to, to receiving funding from other financial institutions. Um, and those, those deals are going to be capped at $50,000 in grant and a $50,000 loan. So not, not all applicants will receive that full package. It really will depend on their needs and the different scales of funding that would support their, their projection. And the types of projects that we've gotten applications from are really such a variety. Um, we've received over 45 applications mm -hmm. and a mix in terms of the business maturity. We have a few startups. We have some folks that have been in, in their business or trying to run their business for, for decades. Um, so I can share a few examples of the types of applicants that, that we've received. Um, so we have a farmer that has been in operation for over 30 years and is requesting funding to purchase new equipment and to pay down debt. We have a apothecary that provides medicinal herbs at a, a sliding scale for BIPOC folks. We have a caterer that has been operating out of her apartment for the past few years and is looking for funds to purchase a food truck to really expand her business. Uh, we have a worker run co-op that is growing microgreens using hydroponics. We have applicants from upstate, from the city, and applicant from Long Island. So, so it really is a, a wide range in terms of the types of food actors that are looking for funding through Black Farmer Fund, but also what their needs are and where they're coming from geographically. That's great. Can you explain a little, um, I know you mentioned that you're doing, as part of this, there's obviously the, the funding, but there's also these education components. And I would assume being the program director, those are sort of a big part of your upcoming work. Can you explain in a little more detail some of the um, trainings or education that you're hoping to provide to support people who receive funds from you? Yeah, so just to, to emphasize, all the decisions around these applicants will be made by the pilot community. And this group has, has undergone a few different financial education webinars focusing on due diligence, focusing on understanding the history of different collective forms of economic models that have existed in Black communities for generations, and, and also just getting up to speed with different types of investment literacy. 
And that's an ongoing process. And then once we're actually in relation with the finalist, there will be a, a fair amount of financial education and business coaching and really just trying to understand what deal would best suit their needs. So it's not going to be a, a one-time conversation of, all right, we're giving you 50K, go on and do whatever you want with it. But we really want to understand their business projections and how continuous funding can help them reach their goals. Mm -hmm. um, and then for the applicants that aren't finalists, we are very committed to staying in community with them and providing either non-monetary or potentially monetary resources, which could look like subsidies for business coaching. It could look like looping them into our network of mentorship. It could look like helping them get a specific certification that they might need in order to really carry on with their business so that they are more fit for funding in the future. So you really are not trying to discourage folks from if you didn't receive funding during our pilot phase, not being involved with Black Farmer Fund in some capacity. Because um, we know that the need, the need for funding is a lot more than our capacity at this moment. And we just want to keep people engaged and excited because there, there's so much potential for, for Black Farmer Fund and we're just starting. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, you know, there's a question here and it was something that you and I had talked about as well. Um, asking about access to farmland and um, in particular that a lot of times landowners can sell to people um, people they know um, or whoever has the most cash on hand. And the question has to do with, um, are there ways that you're helping black farmers to have access to purchasing farmland? And um, wondering if you can speak to access to land a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a lot of our solidarity with land back efforts are connected to our partnership with, with NIFOC, the Northeast Farmers of Color Land Trust, and their specialty is really focusing on accessing land, land to be provided back to, to BIPOC folks in the form of land reparations, low-cost land leasing, and, and conservation easements. Um, so our direct connection to land would be more from a financial perspective. So if we have an applicant who is asking for a certain amount of funds because they want to be able to purchase land, that is actually a common request that we've seen from the pilot fund applications. So we see ourselves as being more of that, that funding vehicle. And then also in terms of actually making that direct connection, leaning on NIFOC and, and their network for that. But we do have quite a few folks that have reached out to us saying, like, I have land that I'm trying to give away. And, and we also direct them to NIFOC. Yeah, and um, if people are not familiar with NIFOC, they, they do have a good website, you can check them out. And um, it is kind of over the past couple of years, people who have been starting to understand um, the importance of redistribution of wealth and resources, including land, have started to donate land to them. And so that is a way to really, if you know people who have land um, and are in the Northeast and, and may be interested, that is a great resource to, to connect them with. In, in regards to NIFOC, can you talk a little bit about sort of solidarity work with indigenous communities and sort of this complexity of um, both as black people, you know, as a black community, many people who have, who are descendants of people who were enslaved here and who are wanting land as, as kind of an important part of their lives, but also kind of holding the knowledge of this land being stolen from indigenous peoples. Can you speak a little to solidarity work or kind of how as a fund, I know you're just getting started, but how you're working on that and, and thinking about that. Yeah, as a fund, this is really important to us because 
we can't think about black farmers without thinking of the history of, of whose land was this originally and, and how that history has just been completely erased in, in a lot of different ways. So our solidarity work stands with that recognition. Our solidarity work stands with when we think about all these terms about regenerative agriculture and permaculture, this is the way that Black and Indigenous folks have been growing food for generations. And there really is this, this cultural connection, this significance to, to land and what that means to our communities. And I appreciated what you said earlier that the reason there are so little Black farmers, it's not because they don't feel connected to the land. It's, it's really because we've been forcibly removed from the land and, and that is, very similar to, to indigenous folks, but, but even worse, because land is such an important part of, of their identity. So, so we stand in solidarity with indigenous peoples and in terms of our, our connections with me folk, even though Black Farmer Fund specifically funds Black farmers, that doesn't mean that they aren't part of our community and part of our, our solidarity work. Yeah, are you thinking of offering like some sharing some of your educational resources with indigenous farmers that might be coming through me folk? Yeah, we've had conversations about that as well. Right now, our, our financial curriculum has really been focused on building out that expertise for our staff, our pilot community, and right now figuring out ways that we're going to engage our, our pilot fund community in that. So the mm -hmm. applicants that receive funding and the applicants that are not shortlisted, but, but longer term, we are wanting our financial education curriculum to be more accessible. So it's not just hitting black farmers in New York state, but it's hitting BIPOC farmers from around the country. Yeah, yeah, that's so important. Um, that sort of aligns with, there's a question here about um, that you're talking about your work being focused on New York state, somebody who is calling from Missouri, Hillary Noonan, she says, hi, Melanie. Um, she's wondering if there will be opportunities here in the Midwest. I know you're not ready to expand into the Midwest, but I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about maybe some information about how people might think about starting a fund where they are and some of the supports or, or some information about how you all got started or are getting started that might help people in other areas. Yeah, that's one of our goals. Um, right now we're focused on New York State because that's where New York is home for me. That's where our team is from. That's where our board is from. And that's where we really have the, the social capital in terms of our network and our support systems. But the goal is that there'll be black farmer funds in Philly and Oakland across the country and a lot of movement work because it is so specific and so place-based and really determined by the, the, spe the specific local context. It's hard to just say what worked for black farmer fund in New York will definitely work for Missouri, but we are actively documenting the pilot phase process and the community governance process and the process that we that we undertook to develop the investment guidelines because we want this to be a resource and a tool for learning for other funds across the country that that want to adopt this type of model. That's excellent. Um, so there's so much more details that we could talk about about the work that you're doing, but I also know that you have this really incredible history and I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about what sort of led you into this moment of doing reparative capital work? Um, how did you get here? <laughs> yeah, so my background um, before Black Farmer Fund was really looking at international conservation and agriculture work. Um, that's what I studied in school. And I also had this, this passion for, for travel when I was in college. So, so after college, I found myself in Ghana working with fishing communities that that were being impacted by external pollution and, and illegal mining. And 
there are very clear power dynamics that as the community members directly impacted by, by this waste, they weren't even responsible for the pollution and the government was not intervening. They were simply telling them not to fish out of these lagoons and not providing any kind of alternative livelihood option. And, and that was very eye-opening for me because I was on this trip doing this research project, looking at macroinvertebrates under a microscope, just seeing what, what organisms were able to, to survive in such polluted areas. But, but my takeaway from that was very disconnected from the science and very, very telling that conservation is less about science and more about, about people and the different social and economic factors that are connected to natural resource management. Um, shortly after, I, I found myself in Burkina Faso and I was working with cashew farmers on a, a value chain project. And these farmers were coming together to, to cooperatively gain more bargaining power but really just struggling to gain more power and profit in, in this international market because cashews are a cash crop. And, and then I have this lived experience as being a black woman, first generation who has seen historically how communities that I identify with have been intentionally left out of positions of power and accumulating generational wealth and how redlining has kept communities of color in areas that are underinvested and intentionally divested from, which which leads to these disparities in education, health, and, and access. So, so for me, this work is, is very personal. It's always been. Um, we're never going to really address the, the fund, fundamental gap in, in wealth, power, and access until we redistribute land and resources. And I see reparative ac economics as a foundation to this. Mm -hmm. So that's what really brings me to, to this work. Yeah, it's great. I feel like I sort of came around to you know, when I've been working on kind of food sovereignty and food justice issues, and it's very easy to get stuck in like the nitty gritty of different issues. But when you take a step back and look at it, money, <laughs> money and power, you know, are sort of underneath all of it. And so I think in different ways, looking at how can you disrupt the way that capitalism has been really harmful and the ways that um, power has been used in really negative ways, but how to create new systems to redistribute wealth and redistribute power. And so I really commend you for for being involved in this and really relate to kind of that journey um, of, of getting to that point. Are there some things that you want to share uh, about what you're hearing from black farmers or people who are who are potentially receiving funding or getting in or even from people on your community pilot community team um, just about what they're feeling how how this is impacting them is there is there anything in that realm that you'd want to share? Yeah, I, the pilot community has been such a, a learning experience. And right now we're in the process of, we've narrowed the 45 applications that we received down to 15. And we are, are really focusing on relationship building to better understand how these businesses align with our investment guidelines and how Black Farmer Fund could be of, of support. And it's really just showed us how how challenging it can be for relationship building because ideally we'd want to be just visiting these farms visiting these restaurants and getting to like have some face time and, and doing that virtually has been a has been a challenge and it's also showed us how much time it really takes for intentional relationship building because it, it's not supposed to be transactional and it's multiple conversations that need to happen so so really just trying to to pair that with this need that COVID has really impacted the food system in a way that we can't even imagine 
And these folks have very urgent financial needs, right? So it's like, right. how do we build the time to, to do the relationship building in a way that feels intentional and special and meaningful? But at the same time, how do we move money in a way that gives folks a chance to have a future in, in the near future mm -hmm. <laughs> to really get their business going in, in the short term rather than having to wait six months, one year? Um, so that's definitely been something that has been a learning for us and and really just recognizing that the need is is so much out there in terms of what black food actors need to to get started, to continue to to expand. the The financial demand is is very much there. And you know, we're in our pilot phase, so we're gonna be working with what we have. but but essentially, like we are looking for this fund to grow into a multi-million dollar fund because that is what the need is in our community. And there's so much. I mean, I think about like people often say, oh, can you recommend a black farmer or a restaurant or something to, so that we can purchase from them? And I think if, you know, there's so many complicated things like for a black farmer, if they grow a crop, when the, when the whole infrastructure is missing of how to get that crop from their farm to a restaurant, or they have enough of a, you know, maybe they grow green beans and they have enough for two weeks of a harvest in the summer, right? But like, there's so many missing pieces along that value chain um, that there is so much to rebuild in terms of um, that ecosystem that, that you're talking about. Um, you were just talking about the, the fund growing and I hadn't really asked you about this, but it's super important in terms of, in terms of money. So you're, you're offering things at very low interest rates and some things are grants, not um, loans. Can you give us some, some ideas of like the financial model about how are you getting a return on your investment so that you keep having funds to keep being able to grant them and loan them to people? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we, Yes, we're trying to create a new funding mechanism that is currently not available for Black farmers and food actors, but we're also leaning on all of our ancestors that have done amazing collective economic and cooperative economic work and, and learning from, from those models. When we're thinking about the specific fund and the, the capital that we're trying to deploy, we've already have pledges of $500,000 in debt capital, and we're trying to match that in grant capital because essentially we want folks to be able to have that integrated capital option so that they aren't just taking on a $50,000 loan, but they're actually able to also have grant capital to help them pay with more indirect cost. Um, so thinking of how we're going to be growing and expanding and how money from those loans will be going back into the fund, um, that's those are early conversations we're having because we haven't even really deployed capital yet, mm -hmm. but we are very committed to the, the food actors that will be receiving a financial deal to be part of that underwriting process. Because so many farmers, you can ask them, what kind of loan do you need? What kind of repayment terms? How many years? And, and they know, they know off, offhand exactly what they need. So really just making sure that the financial deals that we are making is reflective of, of what those needs are. Yeah, thank you. We have a question here from Rina Pua. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your last name. She said, um, or they said, I'm curious how the fund will determine whether or not a fund recipient is successful and therefore eligible for further funding. What are some of the metrics of success? Yeah, our metrics for success are really based on our investment guidelines. So I mentioned um, community wealth building, I mentioned economic justice, and I mentioned environmental and ecological impact and mitigation. So those are all the criteria that we will be using to 
to really decide if a, an applicant is in alignment with what our mission is in, as an organization. And then the financial due diligence is a piece of it, but it's not the only piece. So if an applicant has bad credit, we recognize that a lot of Black folks have bad credit. And we understand historically why that is the case. We understand that for a new farmer to, to want to purchase land and equipment, if they have student debt, that it wouldn't really be fair for that to be held against them because we also understand the historical discrimination connected to that. Mm -hmm. So for us, we do do our financial due diligence. We're working with Fair Food Fund, which is the, the impact investing arm of food, Fair Food Network. And they're really helping us to, to do more of a learning exchange to understand how they administer funds so that moving forward, we'll be able to have that capacity on our own. So even though that we will have debt capital on our books, we are doing this due diligence, financial due diligence learning exchange with, with Fair Food Fund so that we feel equipped with those skills to be able to make sure that the decisions we make are based on our investment guidelines, but also that these business deals that we help put together will lead these businesses and farmers to success. And that we understand what realistic projections are in terms of how their company will grow based on the financial assistance that we provide. And is Fair Food Fund, um, are they working as like a fiscal sponsor or something for you as you're getting getting started as well? They're not really a fiscal sponsor. We have our 501c3, so okay. we are a nonprofit, um, but it's more of a, a close relationship that we have with, with this institution because they also do very similar social justice type of investing in food entrepreneurs and are really offering this gift of a learning exchange for the Black Farmer Fund team. So great. And where are they based? Um, do they do work in a certain geographic area or for people who are trying to think about this in other parts of the country? Are they potentially a resource for other groups? Yeah, absolutely. They're based in Michigan and they do funding throughout in different parts of the U.S., even though a majority of their funding is in the Michigan area. Great. Um, are there things that you want to share that I haven't asked you about that feel uh, just important for people to know about the work? Um, something to share. Well, something that Black Farmer Fund does receive a lot of questions around are from larger corporations, larger restaurant chains that now want to source from Black farmers. And a conversation that we need to have is, you know, for a Black farmer to be able to produce at the, the quantity expected from some of these larger companies, it's not realistic when we look at the divestment in black farming historically. So, so that's something depending on the audience on this call right now is just to intentionally think about if you really do want to uplift black liberation in the food system, there might be some reflection and strategic visioning that needs to happen internally so that the practices that are already in place are, are reflective of the needs of, of black farmers and food businesses. And this requires more long-term investment. You know, when a farmer is, getting their calendar ready for, for production. If you just have a verbal agreement saying like, we're definitely gonna source from you and this farmer puts all of their energy into growing this specific crop and you know this restaurant just disappears, what's the impact of that? What kind of farm does that, does that really create? So, so I think just centering that relationship building and intentionality is really important for, for folks in the corporate sector that are trying to uplift a racially just food system. Yeah, so important. Um, there's a question here about, is there a role for white farmers in supporting your work um, financially or in other ways? Yes. 
<laughs> Financially, yes, in, in a lot of different ways. Um, and when we think of non-monetary support, that could look like a lot of different things. It could be a white farmer giving up part of their land to a black or indigenous farmer um, in the form of reparations. It could look like if you have access to, to training or skills building uh, from a specific institution, how do we share that? Or if it is connected to equipment or technology, I think at the end of the day, there's so much that can be redistributed that is both financial and non-financial. And it's building those relationships with black farmers and understanding what their needs are and doing some self-reflection on how did you get to the, the place that you're at and what was something that just wasn't accessible for, for a black farmer because of all of the things that we already know. Yeah, absolutely. There's another question about uh, what are your thoughts about a customized credit score system for smallholder farms? I'm currently developing one for farmers in the African region. I think for us, we would probably not go to customize. Well, my understanding of a customized credit score check would be like, this is the rate that is considered the kind of like a standard rate. I think having a standard rate that would really indicate if somebody is eligible for funding or not would would just be too surface level for us because we understand that to get to a certain number, there are all these different life experiences that are part of the equation. Um, so, so I think for us, it's more working with applicants on a one-to-one -one basis to really understand what their financial history is, what their financial needs are, and how we can come up with a solution that will really help them reach their, their wildest dreams. That's a phrase that we use a lot because we really don't want to we're not just trying to give somebody 50K for them to purchase an, a tractor and, and that be it. We really think of this as a long-term relationship and our funding to be long-term as well. Yeah, and I, I love like you've, you've mentioned so many really important things about the way that you're operationalizing your values in terms of relationship building, in terms of um, really acknowledging the historical context of like why people don't have good credit in some cases, why people haven't had access to land or resources or education or other things, and, and really trying to put like all these additional supports into place to, to help people, to set people up for success, as well as sort of doing this amazing work of building this really diverse team of people so that you have these different kinds of knowledge, right? You have like Corbin Hill doing like distribution, you have Mama Karen Washington doing urban agriculture stuff. You have, you know, all these these people with different knowledge sets. And I think that, you know, I really, I, I really see the way that you're putting both um, African and indigenous and black diaspora values in, in all their diversity <laughs> into play in the way that you're building the fund and in the way you're making decisions and doing things. And I think it can be really hard for, um, people can often feel really open to those things until it's like, okay, but it's about money. And it's about like, are you delivering your thing on time? And I think, um, you know, hearing all the ways that you're really intentionally trying to build this in over time so that it doesn't get reduced down to, did you pay your loan back or did you meet your deliverable? Right. And to like, know that to really undo these, these like centuries of, of systems that have intentionally um, oppressed people and intentionally disadvantaged people, it's complicated, right? Like it's work and and that like we have to do that. We have to be really committed to that, like both as like black folks doing the work and as white folks who are allies and, and other people to like 
um, it isn't just about saying, oh yes, this is a good idea, I'm on board, but then still holding these still these same sort of like financial models or things as measurements, but like really starting to internalize these other ways of working. And um, I'm really excited to hear all the ways that you're trying to do that. <laughs> so. Thank you. And thank you for uplifting Mama Kay, Karen Washington, and, and Corbin Hill, Dennis, because one of our values as an organization is also elder leadership. And we've been so blessed because Black Farmer Fund is a young organization, but our team is also young. And it is so reassuring to have this, this solid support system from our board that come with years, generations of wisdom and really just so motivated to help us get to where we wanna be. Yes, elder leadership is so important. <laughs> so good. I think that we have reached the end of our questions and you have just shared so many amazing things. Can you let people know how to how to find the Black Farmer Fund and, and how to be in touch with you? Yes, I will drop the link to our organization in the chat, um, blackfarmerfund.org. And we will also be sending out some follow-up materials for, for everyone that joined this call. It's so weird not being able to see your faces, but yeah, <laughs> but nice to see you. Thank you for joining. Yes, thank you to everyone for joining. And um, Melanie, thank you so much for all your wisdom and all your generosity today. Thank you, Tegan, for, for holding this. And thanks to the Yale Institution for, for inviting us to be part of this conversation. For more info on this show and many past episodes, go to thetableunderground.com. Much thanks go to the team at the Center for Business and the Environment at Yale, including Amy Badner, Heather Fitzgerald, and Stuart Deku for their help and support in making this interview possible. I'm Tegan Engel, and this is The Table Underground. Thanks for listening. <laughs>